And you know what? I always felt so guilty about saying that I had help or saying that I needed to have help. And I don't know if it was because it made me feel like I wasn't capable or I don't know that I looked like I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't do it. Or I think you've got to let that go. (laughs) You know what I mean? From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share honest and inspiring chats so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebilagin. Over the last two years, survival mode has been a constant state of being for Jacinta Franklin. But now, with a refreshed approach to her health and well-being, the Sydney-based model, businesswoman and Swiss ambassador has come right. In this episode, Jacinta chats candidly about postnatal depletion, dealing with mum guilt, and why five-minute workouts are her jam. The last time I chatted with you was for a women's health cover story back in 2019. And crazily, the team didn't know at the time, but you were in the early stages of pregnancy with your daughter Tallulah, which is lovely. Yes, I was. I actually remember being on set and being very, not self-conscious, but I'd just been through a lot because I'd been through IVF at the time. Um, I'd be injecting myself with all of these hormones. Um, I'd had, yeah, my egg retrieval and then the, the transfers. And I was just not feeling my best in my body just because I felt like I'd kind of surrendered my body to that whole experience. And yeah, I just felt a bit weird in my body and it was nothing to do with how I, I looked or anything like that. But my body had just been through a lot and no one knew if that made sense. So yeah, I felt like I was living two very different lives at that time. (laughs) Yeah. Cause looking back, I do wonder like what it was like for you going to those interviews and you not being able to talk about what was really going on for you. I think that would have been so hard. Yeah, it was really hard. And I think the hardest thing throughout that whole period is I would always get asked when we were going to have a baby or if I wanted to have a baby or did we want to start a family. And at that time, I didn't really want to talk about it just because it was something that I was I was really living in that moment, you know, all the, yeah, just the fertility treatment and the ups and downs of falling pregnant and then it not working out. And I just didn't feel comfortable talking about it. Um, and that was probably the hardest part at that time. But just, yeah, like I said, it just felt like I was living two very different lives. Like I was going to Jenea, the IVF clinic, most mornings and getting blood work done or ultrasounds. And yeah, my arms were just covered in bruises and my legs and my stomachs were covered in bruises from all the injections and just no one kind of knew what was what was going on. Those closest to me did. But yeah, it was just a really unusual experience. <laughs> it's so good that you've been really open about your IVF experiences since then, because I think a lot of women feel like they're going through it and going through it alone sometimes. Like you said, when they don't really want to share that they're going through this with friends or work, but it's nice to have that community online as well where you can you can talk about it and you can hear about other people's experiences. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. That's one of the reasons why like once I'd or we had fallen pregnant, I really wanted to like kind of make it really public that it wasn't easy. Because I think as someone who had gone through or experienced infertility, it was always so hard seeing pregnancy announcements. And it didn't mean that I wasn't happy for that couple or overjoyed for them or anything like that. It was more that there was never any talk or, 
yeah, narrative around how they got to that point. And I think the assumption just is, is that you decide to have a baby and then you fall pregnant. And <laughs> that's kind of not the case. For some people, it, it is. But for a lot of people, it's not the case. Um, whether it's just, I don't know, it doesn't happen the first or second try or whether you have a miscarriage or whether it takes, you know, assisted fertility treatment. There are so many different ways to, you know, fall pregnant and have a successful pregnancy and then, you know, obviously birth your child. And I just didn't feel like there was much of a narrative around that. And so in my or our pregnancy announcement, I, I really wanted to express that so that other people didn't feel as alone that, they knew that it wasn't just them going through it. And, and like you said, sometimes talking about it is the hardest thing when you're going through it. So I thought if I could just maybe open that dialogue for one woman <laughs> or, or one couple going through that, then that would really mean a lot to me because it really meant a lot to me when I saw other people doing the same, especially people who were in the public eye talking about it so openly. I really appreciated that. So I kind of wanted to pass that on to other people. <laughs> Another thing that you've been open about is also suffering from postnatal depletion. And I wondered what that looked like for you. And also you ended up having two children in the space of a year. I can imagine that'd be quite depleting. I had one and I still feel depleted and she's a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Our bodies go through so much, right? And there's there's so much pressure and talk around bouncing back or post-baby body or what you look like after you have a baby. And for me, I was like, oh, my God, that's like the last thing that I could think of right You know, right now I've just had a baby. Like the gym is literally the last thing on my mind or dieting or trying to fit back into something or, or anything like that. So, yeah, I just felt depleted, you know. I just had not only gone through three years prior to having my daughter, like, miscarriages and then IVF and then finally falling pregnant with her. And then when I had her, we went into lockdown. And then when she was five months old, finding out that I was like eight weeks pregnant and then going through another pregnancy. And then when Rocky was 12 weeks old, we went into another lockdown and my husband went away again. And there was just, I felt like there was just so many things that compounded in those two years that weren't just me having two children within the space of 12 months, but it was like lockdowns and not being able to see my family, not being able to have the support, living in AFL hubs, having a husband that was on the road constantly and having to live under all these strict guidelines in order for him to continue to play football. And I think having a baby, whether you have one or two or three or four in itself is depleting, right? Yeah. And then there was just all these other compounding factors on top of it. So I think I probably felt um, mentally and emotionally depleted more than anything else. I just, it's probably taken me till about now to come, right? I just really, really struggled in the lockdowns with the kids. And yeah, like I had lots of support around me as in I have, you know, the most amazing family and friends and all of that. But sometimes physical support is what you need. And I just couldn't get that just because of lockdowns. So I think every woman goes through it to a degree after having a child. You literally give your body to grow another human in nine months, 10 months. And that in itself is just the most insane thing to think about. And then once you have your baby, you know, you're so tired and you're, um, whether you're breastfeeding or not breastfeeding, you know, you're just learning this new way of life. So yeah, I think postpartum depletion is probably something 
everyone goes through, but it's probably not spoken about a lot because the most focus placed on a woman after having a baby is how she looks, right? <laughs> a lot of the time it is. Or there's a lot of focus on making sure the baby is quite healthy. Yes. And then people don't talk so much about the mum and making sure that she's also looking after herself. Yeah. So what were you doing during that time that helped that you tried to do to help you? In all honesty, and I think this is why I ended up so depleted, I really didn't do much. I had a postpartum doula for the first six weeks before lockdown um, happened, and that was really amazing, obviously, all the nourishing foods and just having that added support there. But once we went into that second lockdown, there really wasn't much. I was just in total survival mode. Yeah. And it made me realize even more we need to be taken care of because we're taking care of a baby, right, at that, at that stage. And um, someone needs to come in and take care of us. And if I had my time over, I probably couldn't have done anything different because it was just the situation. But I definitely think just surrendering to the fact that it's okay that you can't do it all and it's okay that um, you're going to have days where brushing your teeth and having a shower is going to be the biggest accomplishment you can make that day. <laughs> you know, and kind of just surrendering to to the fact that it's going to be chaotic, it's going to be messy, the house isn't going to be tidy all the time, you know, and just I think trying to get as much support as, as you can and relying on that. And, yeah, so there really wasn't a lot I was doing besides that first initial period of having a postpartum doula. Every plan I had was just blown out of the water because of COVID. What were your initial plans then? My initial plans was to have um, a postpartum doula for six months. Ah. So, yeah, and I know that I am so privileged to be able to do that and that's not something that everyone's going to be able to do, but that was my initial plan that was for the first six months because I'd had the children or the kids so close together. I really needed to work on rebuilding back the energy levels of my body and all of that. So that was my plan is that for six months, I was meant to just, you know, be on maternity leave and be mum and be looked after and taken care of. And yeah, <laughs> didn't really go to plan. <laughs> then COVID kind of changed everything. <laughs> yep, absolutely. You said earlier that you it's only now that you're feeling like, you know, that you, you're almost back to normal to paraphrase, what has gotten you to this point? I've put a lot of support around me when we came out of lockdown and I just knew that I needed that for me. And, you know, we got an amazing nanny four days a week and it's actually taken me until this point even with having our nanny. She came on board in January or February for me to be able to leave the house for more than a couple of hours at a time, unless it was for work. Because I always felt so guilty every time I left, even if it was to do the grocery shopping. Um, I really minimized any time I left the house to just two hours so that I'd be back for the kids and doing everything. But it's taken me about till about now to surrender to the fact that it's okay for me to go out and see a friend or go for a walk and do something that's not just related to life admin or you know, keeping the household running or an appointment or anything like that. And um, I think it's just been time and recognizing the fact that I needed help. And, you know, whether that's, I don't know, getting your in-laws to help, whether it's daycare or whether it's, you know, asking, I don't know, someone to come around and help you, whatever help or support looks like to you, it's really important to call upon that and 
put that support network around you and it's okay to rely on that to help yourself and to get out and do things for you. I guess it's just been a journey to get there, you know, and those are the things that, yeah, I just recognised that I needed support, especially after how crazy the last two years had been and I thought that's it. I'm just going to put as much as I can around me. Still taking a little while, but slowly getting there. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole learning process, right? What you're saying about making sure you have support, it's really interesting. I I was chatting to somebody else earlier. We were talking about the fact that for women, it gets kind of hard, especially if you want to build a career. And I asked her how she's been able to do it. And she said, the key is asking for help when you need it. And like too often... Women just keep going through it, keep working hard, keep giving so much. And then there's a point where you're like, hang on a second, I can't keep going at this rate anymore. I need to call in some reinforcements. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I always felt so guilty about saying that I had help or saying that I needed to have help. And I don't know if it was because it made me feel like I wasn't capable or I don't know that I looked like I couldn't yeah I couldn't do it or I think you've got to let that bullshit go you know what I mean yeah (laughs) because it is that it's such bullshit right because you you literally you cannot be at home 24 7 with your children cook every single meal do all the cleaning and have a career and do this and do that so yes you can have those things but you can't have them all at once so I couldn't expect to try to, you know, get back to work and continuing, you know, building my business, but also be at home 24-7 with my children with no support, because that would mean that I would be putting them down at six o'clock and then I would be working till midnight on the computer or whatever. And then, well, there's all this washing to do. So then you've got to, you know, there's physically not enough hours in the day to do and be absolutely everything to everyone around you. So yeah, it's hard because I like to be in control. I like to, I'm very hands-on. I like to do things by myself. I like to feel capable. I like to feel like I've got things under control, all of those things. And I've just had to try, (laughs) they'll put a word being try, let go of all of that, you know, and hand the reins over to other people to support and help me. So it's wild. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting though. Like I spoke to a lot of people when I was pregnant because when I felt pregnant, I've, my reaction was like, holy shit, I have no idea what I'm in for. I'm going to try and just, I'm going to try and speak to as many people as possible so I can get my head around how this is going to affect my life. And it was really interesting that in other cultures, non-Western cultures, the birthing mother really does have that community set up around her to help her. It's a kind of almost like it's, it's in our Western culture where women are by themselves and kind of left to their own device? Well, I think it's in um, Chinese culture where they're in bed basically for the first 40 days or don't leave the home for the first 40 days and all your meals are brought to you, you eat most of your meals laying down, you're taken care of by your mother-in-law or your mother and there's a real community around those women and that I think is so special and it's how it's meant to be done. Because I think, you know, as time has gone on, we've slowly become more and more removed from how we are meant to do things as humans, right? You know, there's probably a real primal way that we're meant to do all of these things. And that's just evolution and 
just how life is. But I think we do need to start looking back in time and look at tradition and look at culture and start adopting some more of those yeah, more primal ways of doing things. And I think women would be better off for it, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess this is why doulas have gained so much popularity in the last few years, because they're harking back on that kind of community support for women. Yeah, it's it's just so important, that support network. And we just go through so much to grow the baby and then birth the baby. And pregnancy can look so different for so so many women. And birth can be so different for so many, you know, for for women as well. So, you know, people might have really traumatic births. They might have cesareans, which require even more care of the mother afterwards. And yeah, we just really, that focus of taking care of the mother and not just the baby during that time, I think is really important and something I would like to see, yeah, society get back to. Now, pre-pregnancy, you were quite known for your health and fitness regimen. So I was wondering how has your approach evolved since becoming a mum? Yeah, so I think, once again, it's about finding that new normal. I have a like PT that I do twice a week. Those sessions are great. And all I wanted to do when I was getting back into it after having Rocky was to feel strong again. I just wanted to get my strength back again. I wanted to do things and feel like I felt prior to having kids, you know, when lifting things and not feeling it in my lower back or feeling it in my pelvis or, you know, just feeling good again. I just felt like my body was yeah, really weak after having the kids and there really wasn't much. It was really hard for me to work out, especially in my second pregnancy because I was running after Tallulah, who was just becoming more and more active by the day. And then I was just getting heavier and heavier. And Rocky was such a big baby and I just felt so big and heavy. And I, I virtually had no time to myself. I didn't have daycare or a nanny or anything like that for Tallulah. So I was yeah, essentially like a, a soul carer every single, you know, 24-7. So I just didn't have any time. You know, it's so funny. Like I always used to say, like, you can always find 20 minutes to, you know, to work out. <laughs> and then when you have children, you've got 20 minutes and you're like, okay, am I going to shower? Am I going to brush my teeth? Am I going to vacuum the house? Am I going to, like, what am I going to do? And honestly, exercise was always <laughs> the, like, 10th or 12th thing on my list if I had 20 minutes spare time, you know, because I was cooking, I was cleaning, I was washing, I was, you know. So that that reminds me of like, I used to see the 20, 15 minute workout, 20 minute workout options on apps or online programs I, fo- I was following. I'm like, why even bother? 15 or 20 minutes? Who Like, there's no point, right? Um, give me the one hour, the 45 minute session. Now I'm like, okay, give me that 15, 20 minute session. I am in. That is all the time I have. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how you shift? I mean, I was totally the same as you. I'd look at it and be like, who would waste their time doing 15 minutes? Like that is just crazy. Like, why wouldn't you do an hour? But honestly, I um, I invested in a Peloton earlier this year and they've even got like five minute stretch stretch sessions. And I'm like, yes, this is this is my jam. This is this is my workout. Because yeah, you just especially in those early days, right? Like you're in the thick of it now too. Like you've got a one and a half year old and you're still in that, you're still in the trenches it's still really, really difficult to find time to yourself. So I think in my head, I've just gone, you know what, I'm just going to do my best. And my best isn't going to be what my best was prior to having kids. I've just got to do my best. It's going to look different on like um, 
every day my best is going to look different. And when they're off to school and I've got more free time and all of that, that's when I can really start to find more time to do things for myself and, you know, go for those one hour runs or, you know, do that one hour bike ride instead of the five minute stretch session. And so I think I've just looked at it as a, this is just a chapter in my life and it's okay if I'm, you know, not working out daily. Um, I try to do something even movement wise, even if it's just a stretch before bed every day, because it does make me feel better, but I think I've just learned to become realistic with it too. I used to beat myself up so bad about it. If I would just even miss like, sometimes I used to go to the gym twice a day. And sometimes if I miss that second session, I would be like, oh, that's so bad. I need to make up for it somehow. And now I'm just like, oh, you know what? Like, just got to roll with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So with your PT sessions where you're focusing on strength, what kind of workouts are you doing? Yeah, so I ended up finding a trainer called Cerise, who I actually used to do spin classes with like years and years ago. And I just really loved her ethos around training. She would never um, weigh or measure her clients. There was never any focus on, you know, diet or anything like that. I think she just really recognized that a lot of people Um, when training, especially women are like, okay, you're counting your macros, are you counting your calories? Are you like weighing yourself? What's this? Like, what's your, and she just doesn't like that mindset. So I just was following her on Instagram and just loved her messaging. And she's all about like female empowerment. And she does a lot of lifting and a lot of strength work. And I was like, great. I think she's the one that I need to go and see. So started working out with her and our sessions are I just wanted to go straight back to basics, strip it all back. So we literally started with like squatting um, with no weights, just body weight squats, working on my form again, uh, lunging. It started off as one session a week and then slowly we built that up and added weights and then now we break it into two sessions. So it's upper body and then lower body. Um, So, yeah, just lots lots of those real foundational movements like the squatting, the lunging, Yeah, so like deadlifts, Romanian lifts, just all those kind of foundational strength, all lifting movements. So everything is weights-based. I love it. It's very different to how I was used to working out. It was kind of, I used to go into the gym, it was like, just go as hard as you can and sweat as much as you can and get your heart rate up. And um, it was really intense and and I loved it. And I love to push myself and I love that challenge, but I really had to recognize that my body was not ready for that at this stage and I had to just go back to basics. So, yeah, I love it. It's great. I started to feel a lot stronger in about a month, I think, after about, yeah, four four weeks and then, yeah, just built on it and, yeah, it's great. I love it. And do you get on your Peloton to do some spin workouts as well? Yes. So that's like on days where I don't have those sessions. So those sessions are Thursday and Friday. Um, and then during the week I will get on the bike, um, which is, which is great. And sometimes it's a a 30 minute ride. Sometimes it's just one of those five minute little workouts that they have, but they have everything. They have rides on there. They have yoga, they have weights because you can spin the screen around that's on top of the bike and you can do yeah Pilates or stretching. And yeah, so it's good. It's been a good little investment. When I first bought it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much money, but yeah, it's great. And what about your mental health? What do you do on a daily or weekly basis that helps you make sure that you're looking after your mental health? I've 
definitely become a lot more honest with it. And I don't know if this is like a female thing, but or just a, like a me thing, but I, I, I would sometimes just always act like, yep, everything's okay. I'm pushing through. It's all good. Like just got to keep going. And that is a little bit kind of what I am like personality wise, even when times are tough, like I feel like I just push through and it's like, yep, we've just got to keep going and keep going and it's all good. But I've become a lot more honest with just, you know, like even when people would just randomly call up and be like, yeah, how have you been? I'm like, you know what? Like I I just haven't been good. I really struggled in lockdown and it's taken me a really long time to get out of it, but I'm getting better. Like just making it more a part of my everyday conversations. Um, And I think that made me feel better too, because I didn't feel like I was pretending to be better than I was. I felt like I was letting people down or cancelling things a lot or, yeah, just not, I don't know, returning calls or text messages. But if I was really upfront with how I was feeling and that sometimes like even just answering a call was too much for me during that day or that time or whatever, then people can understand it a little bit more. And I think just that honesty makes it a little bit easier to to deal with because then it's not a shock if you say to someone, oh, actually, like the last six months has been a really bad place for me. And, you know, I think just being open and honest is the best way for me to stay on top of my mental health. Then people check in on you too. And it just, I don't know, it just helps. That's personally for me what helps. So, yeah. And then you being that honest too also gives the other person permission to feel like, they can be open and honest about how they're feeling too and that they don't have to pretend, which makes it a more authentic relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really easy to kind of live on the surface in life or friendships or relationships and, you know, yeah, everything's good or everything's okay and everything's shiny and positive and happy and all of that. But, yeah, like you said, what makes a true and authentic connection with someone is just that honesty between one another and expressing how you're feeling and, yeah, it just personally made me feel better. So that actually reminds me when I spoke to you a few years ago for for your women's health cover, you were telling me about um, getting a mental health care plan from your GP and like how that worked. And after speaking to you about that, I went to see my GP and and asked about it. Yeah, so that was really yeah, it was really great um, to hear to have that conversation with you. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> That's awesome. I think with mental health, it's just about breaking down the stigma, right? And we talk about, you know, oh, yeah, we'll just say at the start of the interview, yeah, like I had a sinus infection last week and I felt so crappy and it was really hard to kind of get through the week. And, you know, I went to the doctor and I got antibiotics for it. And, you know, I think that's kind of how we need to start talking about our mental health too, to start breaking down that stigma. And, yeah, like you said, one small thing that you could say to a person, like I can – now that you've mentioned that I can remember that conversation, but it wasn't like anything big or monumental or it wasn't a massive moment between both of us, you know what I mean? But it could potentially have a huge impact on someone else's life. So yeah, that's why I'm very passionate about talking about mental health in a in a way that's just like, yeah, open and honest and, and raw. And sometimes it's hard and it might feel emotional or a bit uncomfortable, but I just think it's really important. I was wondering, do you have any tips or advice on finding a good expert? Because 
I do remember after I ended up talking to my GP about this mental health plan, I did see someone and I was like, oh, I don't feel, we don't gel. And then it kind of stalled the process and I never ended up seeing anyone after that. But then it reminded me, oh, I have this acupuncturist who I absolutely adore and she's also a therapist. I'm like, I can go see my acupuncturist. I don't need to necessarily see someone that my GP has recommended. Absolutely. I think that's probably the hardest thing and that's that's definitely stalled a lot of my progress sometimes, I think, with mental health. And um, I don't want to make assumptions, but it probably stalls a lot of people's progress in that area too because you get the referral and then you have the initial chat and then you think, okay, it wasn't quite right, but I'll go back for the next one. And then you just don't feel good or – and it's not even that – it's not that they're bad at their job. It just means that you guys as people don't don't connect and you really need to be able to connect with someone in order to open up and have those conversations. And, yeah, I think it's just trial and error, right? And like you said, sometimes thinking outside the box, I also had an amazing acupuncturist. Um, Rachel in Bondi, who was my absolute rock throughout all of my fertility treatment. And she wasn't a qualified counselor or therapist or psychologist, but in those sessions, we had some really great conversations and she made me feel better. And she, she was just there for me and she just would listen. And it was nice to have a sounding board. So it depends what kind of mental health issue you are you're going through but sometimes it doesn't have to be a psychologist it can be someone else and I think it's just yeah being really comfortable with that person but yeah I guess it's just trial and error but if I had any like advice if it doesn't feel right then try to find someone else because you need to feel comfortable that is absolutely the most important thing and and you want to find someone that you gel with and and when you find a good one, it's like a hairdresser or a dentist or someone like that. When you find a good one, it makes it makes life so much better, right? Yeah. And you hold on to them. You're like, yep, that's my person. It's great. So, <laughs> yeah. So when you find that person, hang on to them and be, be consistent and, and all of that. But, yeah, it, it will take some time just like any just like anything. But if it's not right, definitely um, shop around and, and even ask people. Actually, back in the day, Zoe Marshall years and years, 10 years ago, um, put me onto one of her therapists when I was going through a bit of uh, a tough time. And she was beautiful and amazing. And I haven't seen her since, but she really helped me through that certain period in time. So yeah, I think just talk to people, ask people, and usually referral is a, is a really good way to find someone that that's great. And like you said, I, it just made me think like you won't no one gives up on finding the right hairdresser or hairstylist, do they? Exactly. <laughs> Apply the same to an expert for to help you with your mental health. Totally, totally. I love that. <laughs> and tell me about your career. What's been the biggest change for you since having kids and what's been the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge is time management. Before I could literally get a call from a client and they could say, hey, can you go to like New York? on Friday and it was a Monday and you'd be like, sure. Then you'd pack your bags and off you'd go and you didn't have to worry about anything but yourself, you know, or maybe obviously your partner, but you know, like my husband's very capable of looking after himself. So it didn't matter if I would go away for, you know, seven weeks, sorry, seven days or or whatever it is overseas. So yeah, that time management and just that, that I find that probably difficult because this isn't a job that is Monday to Friday, nine to five, 
Um, it doesn't have regular hours. It can be very last minute and opportunities can come from anywhere at any time. So just managing that. Then the biggest thing that's changed for me is probably I'm I'm saying no to a lot more just because I probably back to that challenge of I can't I could look I could I could be working seven days a week and you know flying here and flying there but I I just I'm still not yet fully comfortable leaving my my kids for long periods of time I still in two and a half years have not left for overnight I don't know it's just I'm just not ready and they would be totally fine I I know but I just I'm not I'm not ready to do that yet so that's been challenging with some work commitments because they need me overnight or I have to fly somewhere and you know the shoot will finish you know before the like or I won't make the last flight so I'm getting better at it but um, it's going to be a a slow process I think for me to get there the kids have come with me on those trips a few times which is hard it would be so much easier to just leave them leave them be at home but kind of bundle everyone up and that's kind of been at my own cost and um, having to travel either with Bard or have my mum meet me there. But, yeah, so I'm still finding the balance. I'm still finding my feet. I'm still finding what I'm comfortable doing, what I'm not comfortable doing, all of those things. So I think like anything after becoming a new mum, you've just got to find your new normal and not try to compare it to how it was before because I've been doing that a little bit, especially with, you know, a lot of people being overseas for these Euro work trips that's really been hard for me because I'm like, oh, oh, that used to be, well, I've never done like a Euro work trip, but, you know, New York or LA or wherever it was and just being okay with not being there, you know, not missing out on anything. My kids are the most important thing. And yeah, so just slowly finding my new normal. <laughs> well, let's talk about the jobs that you do say yes to. So you are an ambassador with Swiss. So tell me what made you decide to work with this brand? The opportunity for Swiss came through late last year and as soon as I got the call, I was just like, yeah, like yes, like you don't even have to tell me anything more about it or what, what it entails because it just felt like such an amazing fit and it's been really amazing. I got to shoot a TV campaign with Bard. He came on board for, for a couple of months too to join me and it was fun. It was nice that the kids could see mummy on TV and not just daddy because I was getting a bit jealous there for a second. They always get to see him on TV. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it was, yeah, it's just a really nice fit. It's just something that feels really right and is a great brand and I I love it. For my final question, what are your non-negotiables in your weekly wellbeing routine? To do at least one thing for myself a week, which doesn't include going and doing the grocery shopping by myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny though, that it does become like, oh yay, I've got some me time. Here I am through going through the aisles by myself. (laughs) But yes. Yeah. Well, I actually said to my my husband once, because I went out grocery shopping and I had to go get something like I needed thermals for the kids and I did whatever. And I was out for like a few hours and I came home and that goes, oh, did you enjoy your time to yourself? And I was like, well, (laughs) yeah, it was like, it was time to myself, but let me just like clarify something (laughs) with you. If I'm out (laughs) buying things for the kids and doing grocery shopping, it's not, and it was such an innocent like comment from him, but it was also like, oh, we've got to stop like 
having this idea that going out and doing the grocery shop shopping by ourselves is like self-care I was like no this is like so wrong (laughs) no so yeah one thing a week that's for for myself and it can be the most simple thing right it can be having a bath uninterrupted um and reading a book it's um could be going for you know a walk and listening to you know, a podcast or it could be something really luxurious like going and having a massage or but for me right now I'm very realistic about like what my me time is too because I am kind of in the trenches and you know I know it will change as time goes on but it's just those little things that make me feel make me feel good and you know make me kind of forget about everything else for the hour or two that I've got and yeah just focusing on me. Some form of movement I I also don't think exercising should be seen as like self-care it should be like more of a a need not a want like you you need to do that to keep healthy right so it shouldn't be like a luxurious thing to do even though it totally feels like that every time I go to the gym and leave the kids behind it feels so indulgent but it's like no you know what you actually need to exercise to maintain like health and well-being like this shouldn't be a form of you know like or seen as like oh wow like you're really like doing something for yourself it's like no this is actually what I need to be able to be like a fit functioning healthy human being (laughs) so that remembering to take my supplements that's really really important has been more important postpartum yeah before it was something that I would probably do sporadically but being postpartum and being so depleted I'm really focused on that and yeah nourishing myself with good foods and also indulging that's really important I think You can't just focus on always being healthy and clean and, you know, eating a certain way. I think that can also be detrimental to yourself. So, yeah, allowing yourself the opportunity to just relax into it and if you feel like a a glass of red wine or a cocktail or some chocolate or doing that guilt-free, you know, like that's like really important to do for your health. Well, it is for my health anyway. I've, I've, I've been restrictive in the past. I know what it's like to not indulge and then go the opposite way and probably like binge as well because I've been so restrictive. So yeah, just creating that balance. But yeah, they're probably like weekly what I look at. I go, okay, I need to indulge a little bit. Overall, I need to be healthy during the weeks. I need to exercise. I need some me time and I need to take my supplements and and nurture and and nourish my body. Those are the things like if I kind of look at my week overall, that's what I need to feel really good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jacinta. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebulagen, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of the September issue of Women's Health with Jacinta Franklin on the cover. You can find it on newsstands, supermarkets, and digitally on Apple News+. Plus. Visit womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Insta at womenshealthaus. See you next time.